0: Statues, kick over the statues. Perhaps you'd like to leave them up as examples to our song. I'll put them on our video so we can watch them as they fall. Kick over the statues, kick over the statues, nothing set in stone. Hello and welcome to Kick Over the Statues, the podcast dealing with all things statuesque. From Winston Churchill to the Little Mermaid in Copenhagen to Christ the Redeemer in Rio de Janeiro, the world's most dangerous statue. Uh, More on that later. This podcast is not just about statues, but about all the questions that statues throw up about history, politics, religion, art, architecture and technology. In this podcast, we will be asking such questions as what are statues for? Who are statues for? Who gets to decide which statues are put up? And, of course, the question on everyone's lips. Do statues come alive at night? Because, no, seriously, like 'cause Because my mate Danny once smoked some really strong skunk and he swears to God he saw Queen Victoria twerking down Whitehall with Oscar Wilde. Honest. The show is called Kick Over the Statues, and that is with a question mark. Now, I haven't suddenly gone all Australian upward inflection on you there. The reason it's framed as a question is because statues, as we have seen on the streets of Bristol, London, Liverpool and Washington DC in the past few weeks, can be very contentious works of art. In fact, some people would even contest that definition uh, of a work of art. And if anyone of you listening has ever seen the statue of Michael Jackson unveiled outside Fulham Football Club's ground at Craven Cottage in 2011, you may well agree. Uh, It was actually considered altogether inappropriate um, especially as they put it up just outside the Youth Academy. Now, my guest today is stand-up musical comedian, writer, actor, and pub quiz host extraordinaire, the marvellous Ria Lina. Uh, welcome to the show, Ria. Thanks. Great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> thank you. Thank you for coming. Uh, do you know why uh, the Statue of Christ, the Redeemer, is the world's most dangerous statue?
1: I. That's the one in Brazil over Rio.
0: That's right, yes.
1: I assume because it's about to fall over or something. It's quite large. <laughs> it just, it's really up high. Like, I wouldn't climb it the way I would maybe go upside the Statue of Liberty.
0: Well, no. The real reason is because it's actually sculpted out of soapstone, uh, which has been used for thousands of years uh, from ancient Egyptian onwards, but contains magnesium-rich talc which can be highly toxic. And a few years ago, the American National Institute for Occupational Health and Safety declared a limit of six milligrams of soapstone per cubic foot over an eight-hour day. And Cristo Redentor, as the real name of the statue, is 30 metres tall, and his arms span 28 metres. So the whole thing is an absolute death trap.
1: Wait a minute, but only if you lick it, right? That's right. Is that what they're saying? Yeah. So if you lick it, it's deadly. If you eat all of it, it'll kill you. <laughs>
0: Exactly. And you'd have to do it for 8 hours as well.
1: So people got paid to investigate this? I could have told you that. <laughs> I could have said enjoy it from afar but please don't climb it or lick it.
0: No licking, which is very uh, apt in these covid times, isn't it? Uh, I actually think that it, even if it did fall on you, you know, given that it's mainly made of talc, yes, true. you'd have a very soothing and chafe-free death, wouldn't you? You and, would, and your <laughs> hair
1: would look fabulous, darling.
0: Oh <laughs> yes. And President Bolsonaro would probably say it's only a tiny statue. It's a little bitty statue, won't do you any harm.
1: I'm amazed it's still standing. If it's soapstone, shouldn't the rain have washed it away by now?
0: No, no, no. It's soapstone, sir. So, extremely soft and malleable to sculpt with, but it's, um, you know, hence the fact that we've still got artefacts from the time of the pharaohs. It, it, funnily enough, soapstone is also used in the pipes that Native American Indians smoke, which is interesting, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> so- <laughs> well...
1: But not for longer than eight hours. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll start off the podcast by asking the question I ask all my guests. So the first question for you, uh, Ria, is what is your favorite statue and why?
1: This one was easy. It's called Boy with a Dolphin. Uh-huh. And it's rather unceremoniously placed opposite Cheney Walk, Chelsea's Cheney Walk, which is quite nice, of course. But it's outside, I think, of Mercedes Benz. It's outside a car shop just on the corner of a busy road. And it's called Boy with a Dolphin, who for this, I looked it up, was by Sir David Wynne, who also did a lot of work with the Beatles. I've always loved it. I love any sculpture that depicts nature or the natural world. Mm. And this is a boy holding onto the back fin of a dolphin, and they're flying through the water, it also uses some kind of counterweight, because if you look at it, it's, it's like those um, those people in Trafalgar Square that seem to be floating in midair. It's using some kind of the same technology oh. because it shouldn't balance it. you know, only the dolphin's tail is touching the ground, and the dolphin and the boy are both suspended in midair. So it's just a beautiful piece. It has movement, it has form, it has freedom. I love it.
0: It's a brilliant piece. I mean, Did you know that um, the guy who um, built it or devised it, a guy called David Wynn, based the sculpture on hours and hours of swimming with dolphins? He actually swam oh. with dolphins. <laughs> that is immersive, isn't it, in both senses of the word?
1: Well, he is self-taught, though, isn't he? I yeah. mean, he is a sir. It sounds like he had a lot of um, money to teach himself with, but he is a self-taught sculptor, and he also did a, a partner There's another one called Girl with a Dolphin, which is in St Catherine's Dock, and he did the two together.
0: So the boy with the dolphin was the follow-up, as it were, to that statue, which is like two years before. It's based on his son, wasn't it, Um, Roland? Yes. Who was nine years old when he uh, modelled for it. Um, Roland Wynne went on to found the sort of hippie, psychedelic, rave traveller band called uh, Osric Tentacles, who did some strange, psychedelic, weird stuff in the 80s and 90s. But uh, David Wynne, of course, as well, he believed in all of his animal sculptures. He studied the animals, this is actually a true story. When he was um, doing a sculpture of a grizzly bear, he spent three weeks in the Rocky Mountains, right, searching for a grizzly bear and refused to um, carry a, a gun with him to protect himself. He did actually photograph the bear. And he's a bit mad, isn't he? He's a bit crazy.
1: I I like that, though. I like the fact that that's what he wanted to do for his art. And I think that you can feel it in the art. You can see that there's a truth to what he's created. He hasn't sat in a room or sat in a well-lit studio and gone... I feel like this jellyfish calls to me. He's gone out and actually explored it and experienced it and then turned that into... I mean, that's what we do as comedians, um, don't we? We very much experience life and then reportray that as our art. And I think that's why I admire the way he works. As opposed to somebody else who goes, well, I just sit where I am and I observe everything else and pass comment on everyone else. Which, to be fair, is also how some comics work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do have many uh, encounters with grizzly bears, don't we? In the form of hecklers.
1: <laughs> we do, and sometimes fellow comedians. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, Incidentally, David Wynn's also famous for um, a bronze sculpture that he did of the Beatles in 1964, and his big claim to fame is that it was him who introduced George uh, Harrison and Patty to the Maharishi Mahashyogi Yogi in 1967, thereby changing the course of the Beatles' music, etc. I'm sure drugs had something to do with it as well. Sure. (laughs) But dolphins are um, a real recurring figure in art, aren't they? There's fresco paintings of dolphins from like 1600 BC. And they're always considered omens of good luck and um, happiness. I, I find dolphins fascinating.
1: I think that uh, we intrinsically recognize that they have an intelligence. Yeah. And I think we always have. They have an intelligence and they have an awareness that I think we can agree other species don't have. Oh. And there is that mutual respect. And then you've got all those you know, lovely anecdotal stories about dolphins helping lost swimmers to shore and, and the rest of it. Some people say they're not convinced. They say it could go either way. The dolphins could have brought them to shore, but they could have brought them further out to sea. I, I like to think that they knew specifically that this that this land mammal is not supposed to be out in the middle of the sea and needs to be brought closer to land rather than, hey, let's play with this bit of flesh and take <laughs> it out to sea.
0: There's um, a BBC documentary that um, uh, was filmed last year and they, um, they actually watched these dolphins over a period of uh, months and they were um, using toxic puffer fish. Um, they were sort of squeezing them to get high. They observed... <gasps> I know. It's dolphins do
1: drugs. Dolphins do
0: drugs. Can you Can imagine just them swimming there, going, "Hey Barry, I feel like I'm floating." Oh yeah, I am. Um,
1: <laughs> so wouldn't it be, "Hey Barry, I feel... Am I walking? I look, look at me, I'm
0: walking." Walking. <laughs> and know. Yeah. They go. Oh Barry, you're really stoned. Uh, it's Good job <laughs> if they get the munchies as well, because most dolphins have two stomachs, which is. Um, a known fact
1: they have two stomachs, but do they have like an either or stomach like oh that one's full I'll swap to the other one or do they have like we have two stomachs as in oh I couldn't eat another thing dessert's ready give me some or is it like <laughs> a cow where they have four sequential stomachs
0: i think it's more like a cow to be honest oh, okay. and also i do like the idea that they help their own sick and injured which is fantastic Obviously, the American ones don't. They, they only help you if you paid your private health insurance premium. <laughs> yeah, I love that statue, The Boy With The Dolphin. It's a very interesting statue. Kick the Kick the uh, okay, uh, question two. What statue do you think should be torn down and why?
1: Oh, I don't know if this is going to be contentious or not. I had two answers for you, as you know. I gave you two different answers. Uh Generally speaking, I feel that any statue that celebrates a war leader, and that can include politicians, should be taken down. I don't think that it is in society's interest to celebrate anyone's achievement that resulted in death, despair, poverty, injury. doesn't matter what it did for our society. If generally that's what happened then I don't think it should be memorialised.
0: You do realise, by the way, this probably takes in about 80% of all the statues ever erected in the world. Right. They're mainly of generals, aren't they?
1: <laughs> and maybe that was possibly appropriate for the 17 and 1800s, but we're in the 21st century now. And I went to Prague oh, yeah. a, a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago, and one of the things that really struck me was how every sculpture and every piece of art that was on the street was about science or art. They didn't have statues. I mean, there was was a particular bridge that also has uh, saints on it and religious leaders. But when you're just walking around the town of Prague, every statue you came across. There's one for Kafka. There was a statue that just celebrated reading. It was a girl with a book sitting in a massive chair reading. That's what it was celebrating. Up on the top of one of their parks that just overlooks all of the town, there used to be a statue of Stalin. And when that got torn down, they replaced it with a, uh, it's like a metronome and it's a statue of time and it sits over the entire city Mm. and it ticks and it talks. And you can really feel that in the city. It really makes a huge difference that every corner you turn, they go, look at what science did. Look at what art Mm. did. Look at this wonderful, you know, art celebrating other art. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's wonderful. I don't think it works for us to turn every corner and go, this guy beat some other people up for us. This guy was responsible for this many deaths. Remember that bad guy over there who killed 6 million Jews? Yeah, well, this guy. We need to understand that that is our history, but we don't need to celebrate it. We should all be ashamed of any participation we had in anything like that, even if it was necessary. And I get that you know, we we were dragged reluctantly into what became World War II. In fact, we allowed Hitler to enter Czechoslovakia as it was then, and we weren't happy about it, but we're like, we don't want another, you Mm. know, war like the Great War. And then when he went into Poland, we said, okay, fine, enough is enough. We didn't want to go in, and I get that wasn't a willing choice. Nobody goes, woohoo, wartime. Nobody does that.
0: Well, the Daily Mail do. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Right, but... But we don't give them a statue, do we? Like, there's no statue with the Daily Mail.
0: That's coming. That's coming. I think.
1: <laughs> oh Come heavens! In. Yeah. So, so generally speaking, mm. I feel that we should be replacing those symbols with something that that everybody can be proud of, especially as we become more multicultural. Yeah. I mean, I'm—I mean, my father's German, and and again, I'm not relating to what happened to World War II on a personal level, but there's a lot of people mm. in the UK that have suffered acutely and personally. Yeah from the second world yep. war and I think for everybody we should be saying okay but what can we do together we can discover science we can enjoy art we can you know celebrate other people's achievements and I want to be clear I don't mean take down every war memorial it is important to remember those that were lost yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I'm not saying we tear down every war memorial and we erase the memory mm. of war I'm just saying that we do not celebrate the triumph of it
0: it's interesting what you're saying because the history of statues is really that um, they commemorate certain periods of time. But history is fluid and it keeps changing. And it's all about the consent of the people for the statues to remain there. It's an interesting story about this is to show you what it's like as Caligula, you know, the famous uh, Roman emperor. You... He instituted a decree when he was at his power crazy zenith saying that the heads of all the statues, the gods should be cut off and replaced with statues with a bronze sculpture of his head. So all the statues that he could get oh, his hands wow. on were um, decapitated and his head appeared. And, of course, when he fell and you know was killed, etc., etc., they just got the heads out of storage and put them back on again. So it's it sort of... <laughs> I know. And there's nothing now in Rome, um, apart from one or two bits, that tell you that Caligula was ever there. So statues are not, uh, ironically enough, not set in stone, are they?
1: I, I, I feel like we shouldn't tell Boris that that was a thing. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, let's not...
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I wish... I want this podcast to do well, but let's let's hope that it doesn't reach certain yes, years. Yes, well, I,
0: I want Gavin Williamson's head. <laughs> There's a brilliant um, sculptor in Prague, uh, and I've been following his work for years, uh, a guy called David Cerny. There's a very famous sculpture from 2004 which is of two men pissing in a pool that is shaped like the Czech Republic, basically. And It's called Proudy. It's like a fountain. They're they're pissing in the fountain. Of course, you could argue that's in keeping with Prague because it is full of stagnites, isn't it? A lot of people would just blend in with those (laughs) two statues.
1: It's very true. And and I wonder actually how much of the water in that particular sculpture is water (laughs) at this point. Given the suggestions, <laughs> given how suggestive it is, but to be fair to Czerny and to the Czech people, there are a lot of statues of people pissing around the world oh, yeah. like I think I feel like it's like that basic How much can we swear on this podcast? Swear away. Right. Okay. So you know how every open spot came up with Trump as a cunt, as a joke, and everyone goes, oh my God. Right. I feel like the pissing statue is the statue's world equivalent where every sculpture goes, oh, I know what would be really funny. What if I do a fountain, (laughs) but the water's coming out of someone's vagina or penis? And they all go, oh my God, that'd be so cool. And then suddenly there's a whole host (laughs) of them and everyone's going, you know, that's been done before, right? (laughs)
0: I like the um, the statue of Kafka. is a very interesting one as well, isn't it? That's an eerie statue. It's kind of hollow.
1: Yes, obviously, they're very proud of Kafka. And when I was first introduced to him in high school, I did enjoy his work, so I understand why they're quite proud of him. But, yeah, I think that's appropriate for Kafka. I mean, I went by that a number of times, that sculpture, and I think that it perfectly encaptures his work.
0: I think if it was true to the spirit of Kafka, what you'd have to do is apply... For a bureaucratic permit to see the statue, and then be refused, but never be told why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, as you desperately try and see it, it slowly but surely turns into a beetle.
0: <laughs> very true. I look, yeah, metamorphosis, of course. Uh, where he, that's one of the things I think about Kafka is that people use that phrase Kafka-esque, and uh, they use it too much. And they use it. It's a bit like when people say, "Oh, you know, I'm feeling very autistic today." without any understanding of what it really is. They say, oh, uh, uh, such and such is Kafkaesque. True. You know, they they use it to describe the process of trying to apply for a parking permit without having read any of his stuff, you know.
1: Oh, heavens. You know what? I think you need to read the trial. Oh, yeah. But then once you've read the trial, you will never be able to live comfortably in the UK again (laughs) because just every process genuinely is kafkaesque but i have to say in the uk i feel like it comes from a place of whereas in the trial it seems like everybody seems to know what they're doing except mm. for k yeah. everybody gets what the process is and what's going on i feel like in the uk everybody's k In the system, and you're the only person that knows what's going on. And every time you go and try and get a piece of work done, the number of times I've had to explain to other people what their job is, (laughs) or what I've done and why I filled in the forms, you know, you go into the council and you're trying to achieve Mm. something pretty straightforward. And their first assumption is that you've done it wrong. Yes. You need to fill in this form. I filled in this form. Right, but then you need to do this. I've got that stamp. Okay, but then you need to do, yep, I've done all of that. Exactly. Guess what? I went on your website. I read what you said to do, and I've done it all. I know. Why do you not know what to do now that I've done it properly?
0: <laughs> Kick over the Kick over the statues. This leads me on to the third question. You know, we talked about uh, tearing statues down, but um, who do you think, in your opinion, deserves a statue that hasn't got one? Who, Who should we put a statue up of?
1: Okay, so kind of following on from my last answer. So I've got two answers. I've got a specific one, but I've got a general one. So generally, I would like to see, just like in Prague, I'd love to see more art, more science, uh, more concepts. I'd love to see statues that try to inform rather than just memorialize. I think back, you know, 16, 17, 1800s, where there was limited access to printed materials. Of course, they had no form of TV or radio or anything like that. I understand why sticking a statue up and putting a plaque on and it was a teaching moment. It very much was. This is what the the general that you've heard so much about through word of mouth looked like. And that was exciting to be able to see what the general looked like, to see a 3D version of that famous person that you'd only heard of. I get that. But now I think we need to be reminding society about art that they haven't accessed because there's so much other easier art to access. If you have all day to watch Netflix and all, you know, and you can walk around listening to all the new podcasts and all the new radio shows and, and the radio and all the new music, then maybe you're not accessing some of the classics. You know, those are being buried slowly over time. And that's what I'd like to see come back up again is, is to say, Hey, think of it this way or Hey, did you know this? I, I think that the metronome, the statue that just, that was about time hmm. that really struck me that I don't think, think we have anything and even in London where you can just go this represents peace or this represents stillness or just those kinds of concepts to help people I think the closest thing to it is actually the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square Hmm. where Hmm. they periodically change what's up there and I quite like that I love you know I don't go by there every day who does (laughs) (laughs) now that the pigeons are gone why should I go not anymore but it's it's quite nice to go by there and go, ooh, they've changed the fourth plinth. Mm. You know, ooh, what is it this time? And you know, and and sometimes I like what's up there and sometimes I don't, but if I don't like it, I know that there will be something new, but it's always thought provoking. And that's what I think.
0: I could see that um, as a a good point of view. And I think it's interesting with the situation we're in now because less and less people, given uh, the COVID situation are going into the center of cities. Because statues became kind of part of the furniture and they were, if you pass one every day, you started to take less notice of it. And I'm wondering if people might now be looking at statues with a new new eye. There's some great statues. There's loads of statues in Liverpool that are whimsical. There's one of Lady Madonna by Tommy Steele, actually, the singer. Oh. Yeah, and there's a beautiful sculpture called Departures. And that's um, near, it's in Hope Street, celebrating the sissies, immigrants, and there's lots of suitcases and instruments on the ground. And
1: <gasps> See, I love that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, there's loads of stuff like that. And uh, I love that. And also, I think we need... It's interesting that, you know, in the famous bit in Planners of the Apes, where um, you suddenly realise that it's um, it, it's old New York, you know, and he goes, oh, my God, What have they done? (laughs) Yes. But it's the Statue of Liberty, isn't it? So they are, Mm -hmm. statues are still quite important in giving people a sense of identity, especially in their own city, you know. And I think that that's, we've seen in Bristol, the the mayor of Bristol said, the people of Bristol should get to decide what the statues are. And I agree with him. It's going to become more localised and more people deciding what they want on their own streets, you know.
1: I totally feel that. I think also in terms of what sculptures are, again, their purpose has changed. As we said before, you know, sculptures were the only way in the 1700s where you could see what somebody looked like and you could see a representation of them. But now we don't need that. We don't need to identically represent someone in a 3D form in order to know what they look like. Therefore, I would like to see more interesting uh, manipulations of material and use of 3D Space. I love any sculpture, like what you were describing with the suitcases and the instruments. I love that we've recreated that in 3D, that you suddenly turn a corner and there it is. And there, you know, permanently there is, is something to explore with detail. And you can look at it from all the different angles and the, you know, in the nooks and the crannies that that creates. Uh, do you remember uh, Anthony Gormley did uh, in in London, he did a particular oh I can't remember what it's called It's something about light something light but to advertise it he actually put life-size people statues dotted all around the buildings surrounding the South Bank Centre uh,
0: I know because I've, I've seen what that used to be able to see it on London Bridge Station there was a woman uh, dressed in sort of office clothes right on the ledge and it, out of the corner of your eye you thought oh my god and then you suddenly realized it wasn't real yes yeah they were fantastic
1: you could stand on Waterloo Bridge because they were on the north and the south bank and you could just count them and just see these these yeah. Anthony Gormley statues everywhere. I loved that. I loved how interactive that was. I loved being able to stand there and, and, and just to see there's something about the human form that we do still respond to, to be able to see that human form out of the corner of our eye standing on a roof or, as you say, standing on a ledge. Um, that interactivity is, is what I'm looking for. But uh-huh. I did have a specific answer for you as well in terms of who I'd love to see. There was a man called Harold Moody, and he was a Mm Jamaican-born physician. He came to London specifically to study medicine. He wanted to be a doctor, and he wanted to help, and he struggled every step of the way. He came over around 1904, Mm -hmm. like right at the turn of the century, and came to study, and he was able to study. He finished top of his class in 1910 when he was 28, and then couldn't get a job. None of the health institutions would hire him. And then ironically, you know, he went, okay, fine, I'll set up my own practice. And he did set up his own practice in Peckham and therefore provided much needed medical support to the communities there. And he also set up the League of Colored People in 1931, which just started to raise a conversation about racial equality and civil rights in Britain He married a white nurse. They had six children, which at the time, being in a mixed race relationship was difficult. I wouldn't go as far to say it was more difficult, but it certainly had its own issues because both sides were being attacked for crossing the line. Um, And then, of course, those children were labeled as mixed race which uh, which brought its own issues with it. So I think that if we're going to put statues up to remind people of forgotten histories then this would be somebody that I would say something you know and again it doesn't have to be a direct replicate of his face but just something to memorialize the work that he did.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: I would definitely vote for that.
0: Okay, Dr. Harold Moody. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that he was a, a GP wasn't he? So mm-hmm. they probably have to have uh his statue and then in front of his statue you'd have to have a receptionist who wouldn't let you (laughs) pass. Why do you want to see the statue? Uh, Is there any particular reason you want to see the statue? He's an amazing figure, actually, and uh, people that were involved in the um, League of Coloured Peoples in 1931 were people like C.L.R. James, Paul Robeson, and, of course, the future Prime Minister and President of Kenya, Yomo Kenyatta, Mm. who brought his own problems because he turned into a dictator. But I'll give you that one. That would be a good statue to put up. The King of the okay, um what about a statue that really creeps you out because it's ugly or you don't like what it's saying? What what statue creeps you out?
1: Do you know what? Um this was an interesting question. Cause I know what I like and I don't like. Mm. We all know what we like and don't like, but I think this statue in particular sort of embodies most of the things I don't like. Mm. And it's called Siren by Mark Quinn. Yep. And it's a solid gold statue of Kate Moss in a contorted yoga pose.
0: It's actually um, a gold version of the an earlier statue that he did of her, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's, it is creepy. <laughs> Explain why you don't like it.
1: Do you know, like, I am 100% in favour of the female form. Mm-hmm. Very much in favor of the female form. However, and maybe this is a reflection on my age or my upbringing. I don't know. But I'm not a fan of vulgarity. And I find this statue vulgar. I mean, mm-hmm. if people haven't seen it, she is in a yoga pose where her legs are up behind her shoulders. So she's sitting mm-hmm. on her bum, but her legs are up behind her and her arms are also up holding her feet in place. Yeah. Uh, and she's wearing a little bra uh in the statue she's wearing a sports bra and underwear but it puts her crotch completely and utterly on display. And I and I'm not like I'm not against the vagina. You can't even see the vagina. She's wearing underwear. I just don't I don't know why I don't know why you would pick that pose of all poses. Maybe it is to evoke this reaction, but my reaction is not, oh, yes. And the description of it as well, like in his own words, he says that this sculpture deals with the idealized unreal image of the idolized body which I'll be honest, I don't totally understand what that means. That's when art gets a bit artsy-fartsy for me, and I'm going, what the heck? (laughs) What does that mean?
0: I think the phrase having your cake and eating it it comes to mind there. Uh, uh, But she did agree.
1: To be honest, I don't care whether she agreed or she didn't agree. I'm just looking at it going, why? Why? The why? <laughs> I even agree with why he made it out of gold, which is really interesting. And he said that the choice to work in gold kind of mirrored what he was trying to portray, which was that human beings often create images, begin to worship them, and then forget that the images were initially invented by them in the first place. And this okay. is similar with gold. Gold is a metal that humans have decided is one of the most valuable materials in the world, but like their invented images of perfection, gold itself is a belief system, inherently no more valuable than any. Any other metal and he's right about that i mean that that's a direct quote from him. he's right that we've decided that gold is valuable and we i think it was warren buffett that said that we dig it out of the ground and then we put it back in the ground but with men guarding it
0: <laughs> like potatoes they could have been a currency couldn't they in fact they were <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> I, I i don't like the pose i i mm. I, I, I don't I get that she agreed to it and everything else. I get why he chose Kate Moss in terms of what he's trying to portray. Sure, sure. But I just go, did we have to? Did we have to show? I mean, there's so many yoga poses. Did we have to use that one?
0: Um, He's part of the young British artists, you know, the uh, people like Damien Hirst and Tracey Emin, isn't he? And uh, Mm. he famously, um, you're talking about the empty plinth in Trafalgar Square. Um, He was the one that put the sculpture of Alison Lapper the artist herself, with no arms when she was pregnant in 2005, yes. which I, I thought was a wonderful... Um,
1: I thought that was very striking. It was up there for a long time.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot mm. of people complained about it. it has got a sort of history of being quite provocative. In in 1991, he did a thing called Self, where she did a frozen self-portrait made out of nine pints of his own blood. I mean, he commits, he commits.
1: Oh yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, the blood is changed every ten years or whatever. That's his aim to do and it'd be representation of of where he's at every ten years. But um,
1: so wait, he adds to it with new blood or he redoes it?
0: No, they change the blood. They change it, he redoes it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> really.
0: Yeah, that, but-
1: I find that you see, I get why sort of if you could test the blood, if if there was some way of saying this is where he's at now and to see the different levels of the actual. You know, to mm. see how he's aging via the properties of his blood in terms oh. of where's his calcium now, or where's his potassium, or maybe he's ill and his white blood cell count. That I would find absolutely fascinating. But to just say, oh, here's some new blood that yeah. no one can tell is new blood, yeah. but I know it's new blood, yeah. and let's put out a press release to say it's new blood to remind people about the blood. Eh, uh, it's like, really? uh <laughs>
0: I couldn't watch it because I I can't stand blood. Um, he's also, by the way, uh, Mark Quinn is the guy that put up the statue of the Black Lives Matter protester Jen Reed on the fifteenth of July, twenty twenty. It was only up for twenty four hours oh. on the plinth where Colston was before they tore the statue down. It's interesting that because I, at one level I think yeah fantastic, but also he got heavy criticism from the mayor of Bristol, Marvin Rees, the black mayor of Bristol, who said, you know, yet again, it feels like an outsider coming in and imposing their views of what should be up there. And also Thomas Price, who's a young black sculptor, heavily criticised him, said he should have given the money to a young black sculptor to make a statement. He's done a brilliant statue, by the way, Thomas J. Price, to do with a windrush in Stratford, in the East End, called Reaching Out, which is only the third statue in the whole of the UK of a black woman. The other two are Mary Seacole and uh, a statue of Black Motherhood in Stockwell. Three statues of Black women in the whole of the UK. It's it's incredible, isn't it?
1: Because they took down the one of the, the BLM protester, because that would yeah. have been the fourth if they'd left it up.
0: If they'd left it up, yeah. yeah. This brings
1: up another really interesting conversation in art, because Mark Quinn is, is a white sculptor, but he's putting mm. up Black statues, which is great. In the one hand, you're like, yes, we need more of those. But on the other hand, you go, should that have been a Black sculptor? And this is an area that the arts world is getting really sensitive about, which is cultural appropriation and cultural representation. I remember one argument when I was in Equity was somebody had a jungle party and they wanted to hire girls to be hostesses at the jungle party and that they didn't hire any black dancers. They only hired white dancers. Mm. for this when it's
0: it... I'm a, I'm a bit bit strange the concept of a jungle party in the first place I,
1: I felt it was wrong <laughs> from the beginning and maybe they should have rethought that <laughs> earlier down the line but you know this is what's interesting is that you can't win can you because mark quinn is trying to support blm and he at the same time yeah, part I of know. me in my 21st century woke understanding and education is going mm, but should that have been him mm. uh, instead of going thank you mark for your support
0: I'm ambivalent because I thought it was a great gesture.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: But then I think it's all of a piece because Jen Reid was very happy for him to use uh, the pose, etc. But I also think it's in keeping with the stuff that we've been talking about, about the fluidity of of, uh, public representation of art, that uh, she should have been taken down herself within 24 hours. And as I say, the Black Mayor of Bristol, Marvin Rees, said we need to sit down, um, the people of Bristol, and have a real think about what we want on that blinth." instead of Colston, because Colston ain't coming back.
1: Um, and I and I appreciate that reasoning, I have to say. Like, I appreciate that he said, listen, the people of Bristol have had something imposed upon them for this long, we're not going to suddenly impose something else without conversation. And I yeah. think that's wonderful. Yeah. And actually, you were talking earlier about Alison Lapper.
0: Lapper, yeah. It
1: was interesting that you brought that up, because I'm very aware of the fact that I am being critical of Kate Moss's female form, and yet... I'm very sensitive to anyone who was sensitive to Allison's female form because I feel like they have no right to be sensitive to her form and that is humanity and beauty and everything else. And yet here I am sitting here being, uh, well, I won't say grossed out, but just
0: sort of... You're allowed to because, I mean, there's a statue apparently in America of Lucille Ball, the famous Hollywood comedian mm-hmm. and um, actor. But she...
1: As a female comedian, she is in Comedy 101 for us.
0: The, the statue itself is awful. And, it, and lots of people have voted it very frightening because what they've done is um, it's like they haven't really captured her face. I uh, urge you to Google it and it's just creepy. She looks like she's going to go on a shooting spree or something. It regularly gets voted, um, you know, like a creepy statue. Well,
1: they've replaced it, though. Oh, I they? know the one you mean. They, yeah. The one where she looks like some kind of matron that's about to eat you. <laughs> yes. You know, like the statue, like the stat, even the statue doesn't blink, where you're going, can you please make the statue blink? Um and I think they've replaced it with a much more accurate the new one, everyone's agreed, yes, that is the Lucille we know and love. That's the
0: Lucy here. Yeah. I love Lucy. Yeah. Um incidentally, by the way, going back to that term um, statues of peace, I wanted to mention um brilliant Swedish artist called Carl Friedrich Reuschabard, who did that famous uh, statue called The Knotted Gun. She's outside the um UN headquarters in New York. But there's there's over thirty copies of it. Um Ten in Sweden and one even in Beijing, which is ironic. And it is basically a Colt Python 357 Magnum revolver, but it's tied in a knot so that it can't fire. And mm. he he sculpted it in, after the shooting of John Lennon in 1980. And I think it's incredibly powerful. And it was first put in the uh, Strawberry Fields in Central Park uh, in January 81. So only a couple of months after he died. If you're talking about the representation of peace on an abstract level, I think that uh, that does an amazing job, really.
1: I agree with you. I think that's a very powerful piece, and mm. and there's good reason for it to be moulded in in an, in a lot of different places.
0: Kick over the um, okay, well this brings us to the last question. Have you got a favorite song about a public work of art or statue or artist? What have you chosen for us?
1: Okay. So
0: <laughs> I
1: had a number uh, I threw I think I threw about four songs your way and three of them were by Paul Simon and then I realized that didn't you mention Simon and Garfunkel in your last episode? So Uh
0: that's fine. I mean I can't get enough of Simon and Garfunkel. Okay. It's, it's it's like a, a a Shakespearean tale of people that are It's an amazing thing that they started off as an act called Tom and Jerry, didn't they? And they modeled themselves on the Everly brothers and they ended up like the Everly brothers in the fact that when they went on tour, they went on a world tour and apart from when they were on stage, they did not speak to each other for the whole tour. And the Everly brothers famously traveled in different planes to their gigs.
1: Is that because they hated each other that much or they didn't want the whole act to go down in one plane?
0: No, 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 no. It's because they hated each other. I think one of them had an affair with the other one's wife.
1: (gasps) But they were actually brothers, weren't they?
0: They certainly were.
1: Oh, that's... Oh, no, that's awful. That's awful. (laughs) Well, I totally appreciate why Simon and Garfunkel didn't speak in the end. They both have their egos and they both have their insecurities and they're flawed. I will always side with Paul Simon in the divorce, though. Um oh, yeah. Because yeah. he just, he brought it all, didn't he? He brought it all to the table. So I had originally, so I'll tell you, I'll, can I talk you through all four of my songs or is that being greedy? No, no, just go for it. Okay. So my first thought was Bridge Over Troubled Water, which is a classic and it's about a bridge, not an ephemeral bridge. It's a, what do you call it? A metaphorical bridge, but still. I thought it was on theme, but then I realized I didn't want to do that song simply because it's one of the few songs, even though Paul Simon wrote it, it's the one that he kind of felt he hated the most because every time they performed it live, he had nothing to do with it. It's a piano piece. The you know the voice is yeah. Garfunkel. And he stood and I thought, you know what? No, I'm not going to give that one airtime as apt as it is for the episode. And then I thought two other Paul Simon songs, one which I absolutely love is called One Man's Ceiling is Another Man's Floor. which is, you might know better than me what the style of it is, but it's just a wonderful...
0: It's a blues. It's a blues
1: number. Okay, it's a blues number, and it's a beautiful piece. And I thought, again, it's very apt for this because it is directly related to architecture and talking about living in very close quarters. And much like a statue does, he brings that community feel through the song because he's talking about, you know, an apartment block and, and the things that happen to your neighbors and what you know and don't know about, you know... Peeping Through Curtains and the rest of it. Uh, The other Paul Simon one that I thought was Kodachrome. Kodachrome is actually about photography, which is is still art. And he talks about getting his first Nikon camera and taking photograph. And the reason I love that song is I was introduced to it by my biology teacher who made me a mixtape. Now, that sounds wrong on so many levels. (laughs) But let me just clarify Uh, that (laughs) I went to a very small private school in the Netherlands, there were only two people in my biology class, myself and Paul Swift and my biology teacher. So we all got very close over the two years that we were studying IB biology. And can I just point out, we were also all very close with his wife who ran the middle school library. It was nothing untoward or anything. But anyway, we shared a love of viruses and biology. I went on to study biology and virology because of this biology teacher and music. So Paul Swift, my fellow classmate, introduced me to Graceland, the album. And so between the three of us, we, you know, we started sharing music and my biology teacher made me mixtape and Kodachrome was the first song
0: on it. It's got a great, he, uh, Simon says it's one of his favorite songs, especially the first two lines, which are, when I think back to all the crap I learned in high school, mm-hmm. it's a wonder I can think at all. Which I think it's is yeah. brilliant. That's brilliant.
1: It's a wonderful song. And then I thought, what other artists could I bring up here that I want to bring up? And then I introduced my husband. My husband already knew about Leonard Cohen. He's twenty years older than me. How could he not know about Leonard Cohen? But he didn't know some of. He didn't know him very deeply as an artist. And I introduced him to Tower of Song, yeah. which is just another wonderful piece. Oh. Uh, Leonard Cohen has done so much, and annoyingly, all anybody ever knows and doesn't even realize it's him is Hallelujah. And I'm going, yes, it's a great song that's been covered multiple times, but only the first three verses out of like 80 or 90 verses in it.
0: Didn't it take him about 10 years to write um, Hallelujah? I
1: think he just kept adding to it, didn't he? Yeah, it just yeah. kept growing and growing. But
0: he, he's also the first to admit that um, he doesn't really like his version. He much prefers other people's. I mean, Jeff Buckley, I think, is my favourite version of it. Yeah, I um, think
1: that's the version, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like Whitney Houston with I Will Always Love You. I don't
0: know. I like Dolly's version.
1: I like them, but they're two different pieces of art, I think. Yeah. You know, like what Whitney Houston Houston makes it her own, uh, Mm. but Dolly Dolly Parton's version actually almost to me says something different. It's Mm. a different emotion and it's a different, it comes from a different place, which is really interesting about that. But anyway, Tower of Song Uh is a wonderful song. So I love
0: that too. I'm a big fan of songs about songwriting anyway. I mean, that's what Hallelujah is basically about as well. It, it, it gets very angry, doesn't he, when people say it's about um, about religion. He said it's not about religion at all. It's about the process of, of trying to write songs. And a Tower of Song is him basically saying, I've got plenty more in the uh, in the tank, as it were. I'm trying to build a Tower of Song, you know. Mm. Um, well, thank you very much, Ria. Uh, I think we're coming to the end of our... Of our time on the uh, Kiko the Statues podcast. Just one little addendum. Um, I don't know if you know this, that David Wyn, of course, the artist that we were going on about, who sculpted Boy with a Dolphin, actually it became famous in 1973 all over again when he designed the clasped hands on the fifty pence piece to celebrate oh. to celebrate Britain's entry into the European <laughs> Common Market. So uh, oh. I know, how sad. Uh, there's a new design, which is just like two fingers or uh, two hands <laughs> desperately scrabbling for some chlorinated chicken. But uh, Is that what
1: it is? Yeah. I, my design would have been just two fingers up, you know what I mean?
0: You like... <laughs> understand the British culture. Um, so thank you very, very much, Violina, uh, for being Pleasure. my guest. Um, that's all we've got time for this week on uh, Kick Over the Statues. Uh, join us again next week. And uh, Thank you very much. Uh, oh, say goodbye.
1: Oh, bye. Thank you. Bye.
0: Goodbye, everyone, and uh, tune in next week for Kick Over the Statues. Kick Over the Statues Kick Over the Statues Perhaps you'd like to leave them up As examples to our song Or put them on our video So we can watch them as they fall Kick Over the Statues Statue, There's nothing set in stone.